That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Testing. Check one. Okay, everyone. Uh, Well, we're going to get started in uh, just a sec. And uh, right now, but what we're going to do today is a little different than uh, a normal same old song. Uh, what we're going to do is is uh, we're going to uh, talk for about 20 minutes on each of the texts like we do normally. And then, so it's like a fresh conference, same old song. We're going to throw it out to questions and whatever questions you may have, just shout it out and then we'll repeat the questions into the mic. It may be a disaster, but It could you know. be. I just want to say, as I was coming in, a man stopped outside and said, what is the Mockingbird Conference? And I said, well, how much do you already know so I don't bore you with things that you already know? And he said, well, there was a covert CIA operation codenamed Mockingbird. Does this have anything to do with that? And I said, absolutely. Come in. <laughs> so welcome. You can't take any pictures or tell anyone what you hear tonight. So... Well, let's, uh, we'll say a prayer, and then we'll get started. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Uh, Lord, we just pray that you would guide and direct this podcast today, uh, uh, that uh, our words would be uh, your words, and that you would uh, speak through us. And so may the words of our mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are recording a podcast episode live in front of about mm, 50 to 60 people. Not weird or awkward at all. I know. How you I feeling? all of a sudden got really nervous, just I know. terrified. But, uh, I know. It's sort of like that middle school dance walking in, looking, who's, did people actually come? Yes, they did. Good Lord, what's yeah. happening next? All right, but let's, uh, let's, we don't have to talk about the thing we do at the beginning where I check in with how you're doing unless you want to tell me how you're doing. Well, I'm doing fine. I've had a lot of coffee, and yeah. so there's a lot of anxiety, but it's, <laughs> it's always in my building, so I'm great. But how are you doing? Um, I think I'm doing okay. Uh, I am... Uh, feeling a little bit of your nervousness. I'm like catching, yeah, it's, I'm it's like, like, it's contagious. Uh-huh. And so I feel guilty for so, I don't know, maybe because you're a clergyman. This is how I make people feel when I'm with them. <laughs> uh, but we should just get into it. Let's get into the fifth Sunday of Easter. Absolutely. Our readings today for the fifth Sunday of Easter are Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. And then we have Revelation, not shuns, 21, 1 through 6. And then our gospel is John 13. 31 to 35. That's right. (laughs) Good job. You passed the first test. All right. So the fifth Sunday of Easter, uh, this is um, where we are continuing. So post-Easter, we're walking through the book of Acts, and we're seeing kind of what this early Christian community is up to. This first reading is a very long one, and I will say that um, if you can keep people's attention through explaining all that you need to do for this, I, I would be impressed. But it's Acts 11, and it's Um, uh, something has happened which has made the early Christian community very, 
very nervous, which is to say people who were supposed to be on the outside are now on the inside. That's right. People uh, who were Jewish have now become Christians, and they thought that the Christian message was just for people who were Jewish. And now Gentiles have become Christians, and when Peter gets to Jerusalem, uh, they ask him, why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them? So this is this concern, which, I, you know, it's a, it's a concern about purity. Yeah. And who's in and who's out, which is still very much, I think, an issue today. And if you were going to talk about this as a preacher, uh, I think there's so many ways we still do this. Who's in, who's out? Who are we allowed to associate with? Who are we not allowed to associate with? And what determines the inner circle? Uh, and this, you know, the, the idea of circumcision or uncircumcision being a big deal is so foreign and so lost. I mean, there's, there's, you have to kind of put it into terms I think people can understand. Um, and... Uh, I don't know, whoever churchy folks think you shouldn't be with, that's the uncircumcised that's right. that's folks. Right. Um, so there's a guy on Instagram, uh, I don't remember his name, and I don't know how he showed up in my feed, but he's like a weightlifter and barber, and he is tattooed, and his hair is dyed so that he always looks like a clown. <laughs> And a little scary, like he has um, his hair sort of like the part, it's like Krusty the Clown, but it's permanent. It's like sticks out on both sides in these big orange pieces and then up, and then he has a handle or mustache that I think is, is another kind of orange, and then his face, his, almost his whole face is tattooed sort of a bluish. And I'm following. I want him to come to the next Alter Guild meeting. Mm-hmm and to see the reaction uh, or the next clergy conference or something like that. But this is the, the kind of, um, he doesn't look like anybody who is supposed to be there. And this is kind of that, uh, that dynamic here. Um, uh, there's a, a song by the Hold Steady. She broke into Easter Mass with her hair done up in broken glass and asked the deacon, do you want to know how our resurrection really feels? Wow. And this is the kind of um, clashing of worlds that has happened with Peter, who's now eaten with uncircumcised men. So when he goes back to headquarters in Jerusalem, the first thing they want to know is, how could you possibly have associated with these people? This is a little bit like um, uh, in the 1980s, if there was any church person that went in to do anything with somebody who had AIDS or mm -hmm. HIV, when it was still that kind of thing where you didn't even want to talk about it or, or deal with it in any way, um, how could you go be with those people? It's right. that kind of uh, that kind of dynamic. Um, and, and then he explains a story that involves animals and killing and eating them. Yeah, well, and I think that's very important because uh, what what's really getting at here when they ask how could you eat with uncircumcised people? You know, how could you associate with those folks? How could you do this? So when we bring in the question, the word do, we've brought in the law. And, uh, and what's going on here is, is that it is the outside defining what's on the inside. So uh, Peter, you have clearly um, uh, been with these people. This is the outside, so you must be dirty. And, uh, and what this ties back to is Jesus' teaching from uh, uh, Mark chapter 7, where he uh, reminds the Pharisees, it's not about what goes on the inside, what, what like you ingest that makes you unclean. It's not about what you do that makes you unclean. It's what comes from within. Yes, you know right. what I mean? And this is, if you're going to preach this text, this is what you've got to get to. You've got to get to the heart of, it's the heart. You know, that's the issue, not the outside. Uh, because God is always working on the in, and God is working on the inside, and he's always working in places you don't think he's working at all. 
And he's always kind of confronting those things. I mean, this is a confrontation. God is confronting these people with where Peter's been. And yep. uh, you know what I mean? And God is actually through these people confronting Peter with where he's been. And what's amazing to me is that Peter heard Jesus teach that. Yep. It's not what goes into you that makes you unclean, but what comes out of you that makes you unclean. And he didn't believe it. Hmm. And the reason we know he didn't believe it is because right before this experience, he himself had to go up onto a roof in Joppa. And, and so he talks about this where he, he basically, I was up on a roof and I was taking a nap and I had this vision where God lowered a sheet and in the sheet, uh, it's sort of like an early Yeti cooler. He opened it <laughs> and there's all these animals that have been, that he, and that, except they're alive. And so he says, kill and eat them. Uh, these are all the unclean animals. Heaven it's forbid, a, Lord. I know. It's a bunch of lobsters and, mm-hmm. who, you yeah. know, other things. Other things. Shrimp. <laughs> uh, no, it says reptiles. He's got to kill iguanas. Um, and there are all these unclean things. And so Peter heard Jesus say that none of this matters because it's only what goes into you that makes you unclean. Um, or not what goes into you, it's what comes out of the heart. So he heard that, didn't believe it, has to see this vision three times, a miraculous vision of unclean things. He's told to eat, so he says, okay, which now finally prepares him to think that maybe it's okay for Gentiles, dirty people, to, um, to, to come to know Jesus and that he can associate with them. It just shows, one, how hard a conversion is to thinking that God is not about purity codes, mm-hmm. to think that God is not about behavioral management, to think that God is not just up there, the divine accountant saying, like, are you in the good column or the bad column based on what you've done or not done? So it took Peter a really long time to get it. All the people that asked Peter, how could you have eaten with those Gentiles? They also knew this teaching of Jesus. They also didn't really believe it. Yep. And so Peter has to be converted before, any, before he can, uh, many times before he can come on to this. So I, I, I think, you know, if I was going to tell, if I was going to talk to a congregation about this, what I would say is it is really, really, if, if it's hard for Peter, who walked side by side with our Lord and was a witness to his resurrection, if it's hard for him, because this is, this is post-Pentecost, this is like he's got the full deal. You know, he could recite most of the Nicene Creed at this point because they've not only seen Jesus rise from the dead, they've also received the Holy Spirit. If he still doesn't get it, how are we going to get it? Mm. And your congregation is also internally and for themselves, just like Peter, addicted to the law because it's so wonderful to feel self-righteous. So that's the thing I would say is that... Um, the message of the church is that God is not really that interested in your behavior um, except in forgiving it, and he's done that, and so um, we need to come back and get this again and again, just like Peter has to come back and get it again and again, and that's, that's how I would approach this. Absolutely, and then you also want to hit on the fact that um, the message, yes, but the message touched by the power of the Holy Spirit in this moment, too. Uh, the message comes with the Holy Spirit, and he references John the Baptist mm-hmm. in that moment. Once again, the law isn't going to cut it. We need, we need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit as well. And so this message, it's the Holy Spirit that ultimately comes in and opens their eyes to see the whole thing yeah. through this message. And it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. And never forget that. You know, when you're preaching, you'll have people say, you know, they'll come at the end, and that was an amazing sermon. I am going to try harder. You know, you're like, son of a gun. And so, uh, but, uh, but it is the spirit at work and it's the spirit that converts these people to begin to understand that it's about the inside out not the outside in and I love this that at the end you know uh, they say um, uh, that God has given uh, God I need my glasses put them on 
Uh, here we go. Harry Carey. God has given even to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. Even the Gentiles. Even the Gentiles. And I mean, I think nothing, this inside out is just embodied in the collective purity. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. It's so easy, and we're always falling back to the outside defining the end, but it's always with the gospel, the changed heart that's been touched by the Spirit that changes absolutely everything. Amen. Even the Gentiles. So uh, if you want to put this passage into um, application, uh, you should go have some lobster thermidor or a bacon cheeseburger (laughs) or something like that and praise the Lord. So uh, we then come to, in the whole season of Easter, we're going through Acts, we're going through Revelation. Um, I did have somebody who stood up in church who I will not name but said Revelations and... uh, I had really to, upset you. It, it did. I did. I was like sweating, and I was like, oh, I failed as a minister. Um, so Revelation 21, this is this, um, like all of Revelation, kind of a great apocalyptic, um, uh, eschatological, end times kind of thing. And it, is, it, is, it would be really difficult, I think, to preach on this passage mm. just because it's, I don't know, it's, it's a lot to unpack. But um, if I were going to talk, this is the one where uh, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, um, and, uh, which is different than how most people think about heaven. Hmm. Most people think about bad earth, and then we get in the little pneumatic tube, yeah. which whisks us up into heaven, and heaven is up there, and we're down here. But this, call, this talks about a complete do-over of everything, a total new creation of everything, new heaven and new earth. And at the end of the passage, the one who's seated on the throne, Jesus, says, see, I'm making all things new, mm. uh, which is such a relief to me because, again, so many of us think about bad down here on earth, good up there in heaven. Mm. But that's not the idea. That's not the message. That's, um, the idea is that everything is made new. Everything is restored. Um, actually, not even restored. It's just like completely new, like just mm-hmm. wiped away. And you get this vision of God dwelling with mortals and uh, wiping away every tear, and death will be no more, and mourning and crying, and pain will be no more. Um, so it is, I think, a powerful picture uh, sort of what the theme of this conference, a uh, hope for a weary world. Mm. I mean, there's not a single person in your pews who is not crying about something. Mm. Yeah, and, that's and very powerful. That. And, I, and I think, you know, the other thing that this, this does is it gives us an image of the new heaven and the new earth. I mean, this is where we are destined. Mm. I mean, if you recall, Jesus weeps over the old Jerusalem. You know, he, this, is, this world, and there's a big thing, I think, in Christianity today, uh, especially to be like, you know, cultural influencers and cultural changers. And, like and you. Then, like me. But uh, there is like, yeah, you're cool because you're not cool. But anyway, uh, there's, a, um, but there's this idea that, you know, and, and we do want to make an impact in the world. And, and I mean, Christians do uh, oftentimes, sometimes make the world a better place, sometimes not. But, uh, but the focus here is the idea that this world, we make this world an idol, and that this world right now is passing away. And, uh, and so we're given this new voice in the book of Revelation that there is something greater. And you see, this world always, we can't help it, always has us, or always has some sort of idol at the center. And what John has given a vision of is this new heaven and this new earth where Jesus is actually at the center of the whole thing. And there he's their God. I mean, this is what we've all been longing for. This is what John wrote about in chapter 1, you know. Uh, And the word is tabernacled amongst us. 
This is what we're all longing for. We, we actually weep over this world, ultimately. We weep over this world because this world is filled with sin. This world is filled with sadness. This world is filled with us always trying to push ourselves to the center. But the good news of the gospel, my friends, in this passage is that you are not at the center of the universe. And Jesus is going to come and remove that mantle at the end of the age that's been weighing you down. And he's going to place his yoke upon you, which is light and easy. Would you say, just as an illustration, that yeah. the world is filled with sin and darkness like Manhattan is filled with marijuana trucks? Yeah. <laughs> I did not know. I've not been to New York in a while, and I got here, and I was like, where are all these green trucks yeah. on every street corner? It's amazing. They are ubiquitous. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, I mean, but, but, I mean, it is. Well, the other side of it, too, is, I mean, the homeless and the mentally ill that are, like, roaming the streets. Yeah. I mean, it is in your face. And, um, and so, but there is this idea that there is a time coming where there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and there'll be a lamb at the center of it. And uh, he's going to give you living water, uh, which is going to quench that thirst, finally, of needing to be at the center of the world. The, and the last thing, if you wanted to say something, there's this idea of the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God to earth, basically, which again is against that image of we getting whisked up into heaven. Uh, God comes down to us, and it says the home of God is among mortals, and the direction is God coming down to us, um, which is what Jesus does in the incarnation. And I think a very preachable point, it, again, everybody always feels like they need to reach up to God. I once knew of a church that had a coffee table book about their building and the stained glass and the beautiful architecture, and the title of the book was Reaching Up to God, which is just a bananas heresy. And mm. what the gospel says is that God comes down to us. And that's what this says. So it's not like the one time yeah, that's right. when we messed up, Jesus came down to fix things, then he went back up, took the escalator into the, into the Lord's presence. Um, it is always the action of God mm. to come down to us. It's the same way in creation when he walks with the humans in the garden. It's the same when he shows up for Abraham. It's the same when he wrestles with Jacob. It's the same when um, he, uh, the angel comes to Mary and says, guess what? Your life's about to change. And it's the same here even at the end of all things the city comes down, not that we go up That's to right. us. So again, everybody's so feeling like they need to reach up to God or make God happy or somehow improve their lives, and God always comes to us, and then we're just sort of down there on the couch mm. eating Cool Ranch Doritos. But nevertheless, He always comes to Amen. us. And this brings us then, I think, and it kind of ties in beautifully with our gospel, John chapter 13, 31 through 35, where Jesus is at the Last Supper, and He begins to talk a lot about glory. What do you think about that, Aaron? Well, what I love about this, so this is John 13, this is the Last Supper. We know it because it says in the beginning of this uh, passage, at the Last Supper. <laughs> Jesus says, now the Son of Man, meaning himself, has been glorified. But the thing that happened right before that is when Judas had gone out, then Jesus said, now the Son of Man has been glorified. Yeah. Which is crazy because it's like when I have been... I mean, think about a time where you were betrayed, mm. and, that you, and that betrayal was going to bring you down. I just read a story today of a very powerful um, hedge fund financial genius type person, and he and several of his close associates were arrested. You'll be hearing about it in the news. It's already in the Wall Street Journal, but it'll make the rounds on the Twitter and the other places because this guy was also well known as a prominent Christian. 
and uh, people have turned on him, meaning there are people talking to the FBI about what he did, and he's now been arrested. So there are people in the inner circle that betrayed him, his Judases. Um, and I bet when the FBI showed up at this guy's door or office to arrest him, he didn't say, now I have been glorified. Mm. So Judas leaves, and Jesus is like, yes, now I've been glorified. And it's, it's, again, that upside-down uh, thing that the gospel does. Yeah. And it actually is true. I, you know, if, the, if there is um, a life for this man who got arrested, if there is a future for him where he is an actual human as opposed to the... F- presumably, there was some part of his life that clearly was not true. Hmm. And if there's life for him on the other side of this, he actually has been glorified in that he has, his, all his pretensions to whatever he was doing, they're now over. Hmm. And now there's a chance for him to be human. And I say that for each one of us because we, are, we love to say, look at that guy, fall from glory. But we are all, as you have said, we're all two days, three days from, living in, from being in the tabloids, and we're living on day two. And that is true for everybody. Uh, it was true for that guy, and he was sort of a titan of industry sort of type. And so the, what the gospel says is when you have been brought down to your lowest point, this is a place where God works. And so that's why Jesus can say when Judas has gone out, now the Son of Man has been glorified. Because the worst thing that could possibly happen to Jesus is about to happen, and that's the thing he came to do. Yeah. That's really good, and I, I, I love that. And it reminds us, you know, I think so often we, we think glory is like big, bright, shiny things. You know, glory is your best life now. There also was an amazing article in the Times today about the NFL draft, which, uh, you know, nobody's watching because they're all live streaming your talk tonight. That's right, yes. So, um, but, uh, um, but if you are the number one draft for the, for, as a quarterback, uh, they've done all the odds. It's a glorious moment, but you are destined to have a terrible next season. Like, the odds are terrible. Yep. And no one is saying, now I'm being glorious. But this is the Johnny point. Johnny this is, the, this is the point, I think, is that a glory in this age is hidden. Mm-hmm. And glory in this age uh, comes to us in the cross, in a brutalized, brutal, bloody face of a Nazarene rabbi. And what that says to you right where you're at, and kind of as the illustration was, is that God actually, uh, his glory speaks to that part of your life. That part of your life that's like ashamed and that part of your life that's like uh, hurting and wounded, uh, God's glory can meet you right there. And what that tells you when Jesus says, now the Son of Man is glorified, and then you tie that into the book of Revelation, uh, that vision of a new heaven and a new earth, you really realize that nothing in your life is lost. Um, The terrible things in your life are not lost. Like this guy being betrayed by all of his friends, none of that will be lost. Mm. But ultimately, the end of the age, it's all going to be woven into a beautiful tapestry. And we're going to be like, damn, worthy is the lamb. We're going to be blown away by this. And, um, and, uh, And so I think that that's like an amazing thing, that nothing in your life is lost. And God's glory... And the face of Christ Jesus is speaking to the broken areas, the glories in your life. And because it is the NFL draft, um, <laughs> like I think three years ago when I was here for this conference, it's always sort of at the same time. On my way back to Texas at LaGuardia Airport, I, ran in, I was on the same flight with both Tony Dorsett and Terry Bradshaw. So just watch when you're leaving New York. <laughs> for uh, football greats moving among you. That's amazing. Well, I know. We've kind of come to the, uh, 
the end of the, the, the lecture, and we, since it's a live show, we wanted to throw it out to like uh, one or two questions, just so you know everybody knows it's a live show. Does anybody have any questions or anything about preaching? Um, yeah, why don't we go, you in the red, right there, perfect. Good question. So, uh, if, Zinger, I may, if I may repeat it, well, that wasn't a softball. <laughs> so, the question asked by the man in red in the back um, was that he's in circles, and I presume you're not a Roman Catholic. Uh, <laughs> the question he asks is from a very reformed understanding and description of what people are here to do, and it's a good summary of it. The chief end of man, or we could say of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, or as I think John Piper said, glorify God by, enjoy, by, glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Uh, and that feels to you like, um, the, you know, what does that mean to glorify God? Well, it means to, it feels like more law, like you have to succeed in life financially, professionally, relationally, in your family, uh, in your career, all these sorts of ways, and spiritually, you need to succeed in life, and that's the, the call of the Christian. Um, and so, how do we tie that to this idea that we've just talked about in John 13 about glory, that Jesus Christ is glorified? And I guess um, uh, I'll, I'll take a shot at it, and then Jake can clean up whatever I say wrong. Uh, if we get our understanding of what it means to glorify God from John 13... It's a very theology of the cross understanding of what it means to glorify God, meaning that Jesus is glorified when He's betrayed, arrested, put on a false trial, and is a complete failure in human terms. That is the glory of God. And so what does it mean for you to glorify God? Does it mean for you to be a super successful person so that your life is the best book report ever that gets an A plus and a gold star and you can say, look what I did for you, God? Or is God glorified in your life when you don't really add that much except resistance and failure, and God loves you and somehow makes you a person that through whom there's some people around you that might feel loved and forgiven. I think that what it means to glorify God um, is that God fixes your brokenness as opposed to you kind of getting MVP trophies and putting them on God's mantle. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the chief, the, the chief end of man is to glorify God forever. I mean, we see that in the book of Revelation. Right. I mean, that is, that is where we are headed. Uh, Peter says we will share someday in the divine nature. You know, that's where we're going. Um, so, yes, it's true. Uh, however, I'm right now in the present, and I'm dealing with Simeon Eustace et Peccator, and uh, I am dealing with a sinner that is waging war within me all the time against the saint. Um, I am dealing with a sinner that wants to justify himself. And so, um, and the other problem with that on one level is that it puts uh, you as the protagonist. It immediately, the sinner hears that and is like, ah, 
there's what I gotta do. And it makes me immediately the protagonist in the relationship with God, the protagonist in the story, and maybe he'll finally notice me. You know what I mean? And, uh, uh, but, but, but what, what's going on right now, I think that, you know, the chief end of man is to uh, fall on their knees and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Uh, uh, save me, God, mm. and, um, and uh, grasp me with your wounded hands and carry me uh, through this life. And it is in that, um, in the giving up, uh, well, uh, you know, that the glory of God ultimately begins to be revealed in my life. And I don't even know what's happening because... Um, I'm being carried. And so ultimately, I think we need to remember that uh, the protagonist in the relationship is God himself. There's only one set of footprints on the beach, is yeah, what you're saying. That's right. <laughs> and there was only <laughs> ever one set of footprints one. Yeah, on that's the beach. Right. There were never two. That's where it gets that's it right. wrong. Um, I saw there's a question in the back. Jeremy Coleman. Please, thank you. What makes, so the question from the back, what makes us so addicted to the law? Jake, as someone who is addicted to the law, mm. could you tell us? Yes. Um, well, the law is the, um, and I, I'll encourage you, uh, those of you who want to explore this topic a little more deeply, read Stephen Paulson's Out, The Outlaw God. Um, I mean, this, this book is rattling my gourd. And, uh, and what he, he points out, and what, what, what we've always known, is that the law is perfect. The law is perfect beautiful. The law reveals righteousness. It reveals something that I want. And, uh, and so the question, uh, the question is, is, so why does this passage turn to the law? Is that what you said, Jeremy? Why are we so addicted to the law? Because we are dying to justify ourselves before God. Um, that's ultimately it. That was the sin of Adam and Eve. Uh, on the day that you eat of it, you will be like God. And since Adam, we have been wanting to say, look, Lord, I am just like you. Uh, the fall is not really a fall. The fall is reaching up ahead of time. You know, um, it is, it is uh, getting ahead of God. And uh, that is ultimately it, because I want to justify myself. Um, I don't want to be justified. And I, I don't know that we always... <laughs> are aware of that yeah. desire to justify ourselves. I think sometimes we are. I think a lot of times it just, the law is addictive because it feels like control, yeah. which is like being God. I yeah. mean, that's, it's that thing. I remember a conversation, Simeon Zoll, are you here? I know you're speaking later. I saw you at a hotel today. Anyways, so um, when I, I had a, Simeon was an undergraduate. I was a um, volunteer in the college ministry where Simeon was a participant. And I don't think I had met Paul Zoll yet at that time. But I knew that he was someone in ministry, and I knew that all his children had turned out perfectly, as you can see um, at this conference this weekend, uh, where all three of the Zoll brothers are here. But um, I, I had, so, and I was thinking about going into ministry at the time. And so I was having lunch with Simeon about something totally different, but I did say, you know, you guys, you, you and your brother seem to have turned out okay. You, Simeon, seem to be, have turned out okay. Like, what did your parents do as a, mini, as a ministry family that you turned out okay? Because, I, you know, we've all seen what happened to Reverend Lovejoy's daughter on The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. Like, and there's the whole, you know, she's, she's the, um, uh, you know, the, she just is a classic PK. Uh, you can, and you can see this, and I feel, I feel bad that all the examples are, uh, that I can think of are like women, and maybe that says something about something our society needs to deal with, because there's also John Lithgow's daughter in Footloose. Uh, 
so there's, all, there's kind of this trope of the PK, and I'm sure there's male examples as well, but just they go off the rails. Um, and uh, so I said, how, you know, how did, what did your parents do to make you turn out okay? And this is what the, the law always wants, give me rules mm -hmm. so I can make things come out okay. Mm -hmm. And Simeon didn't know, but he preached the gospel because he said, I don't, my parents didn't do anything. And I was so frustrated. I was like, you need to give me some Jim Dobson tips and tricks to make sure my kids never, who I don't even have yet at the point, at that point I didn't have any. So anyways, I think we're addicted to the law because we want control and we want to fix ourselves. Like every, like when we used to go to grocery stores and buy things called magazines, the covers of those always promised control of your life weight loss, marriage advice, uh, career success, whatever. And the, the law is addictive because it, pro it makes us think, as you said, we can be the protagonist. It makes us think that we are in control and that we can make things turn out the way we want. And I think it is, that is just so dark. narcotic and attractive, but ultimately dark um, because it doesn't work. And it just turns you into somebody who's compartmentalized and judgmental and shamed most of the time and shaming others. But I think that's why we come back to it again and again, which is why we just have to remember that even the Gentiles, you know, that kill and eat, come do the thing that you thought was totally outlawed for you to do, because that's how radical the gospel is. And I think that's what we miss from that Acts passage. Like, if you think of some really naughty thing that no Christian should ever do, that's what it would have felt like for Peter when God shows up and says, I want you to eat all this stuff. It's like, but no. I, you know, I, and, you know. It's like God showing up for your quiet time and being like, slamming the Bible shut and saying, no, I want you to read this issue of Garden and Gun or whatever, you know, some completely unspiritual something. You know, that's actually not that good of an example. I don't know, Mad Magazine or something right. like that. So anyways. No, you're doing great. Thank you. Thank you, Jake. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I think this is a great episode. I think so. What do you think, TJ? I mean, Graham Schuyler's in the front row. That's good. And Chris Bowie's over mm -hmm. there. It's amazing. Well, until next week, we'll see you, uh, see you soon. But not for our live audience who will no. get the next episode right now. Absolutely. Cool. And cut. All right. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside ready to rock and roll.